0: The following is a presentation of the Black Hollywood Live Network, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. Hollywood, redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Manunos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is Black Hollywood Live, Breaking Into. Featuring in-depth interviews with today's most influential entertainment figures highlighting their tips, tricks, and techniques on breaking into the entertainment industry. You're listening to Black Hollywood. And now, the host of Black Hollywood Live, Breaking Into.
1: Hey everyone, you're watching Breaking Into. I'm your host, Daryl Kristen, and here joining me is Jessica King. Hello. And our very special guest today is one of the most influential people in advertising and marketing. He's also the co-founder of the Walton Isaacson Advertising Agency, which is one of the best advertising agencies in the world you deal with clients like lexus the la dodgers mcdonald's we have aaron walton here with us today. hello how are you how you doing i'm good hello. thank you thank you for joining us
2: thank you for having me this is great
1: i should add supermodel to your <laughs> resume as well you just came back from paris and did like a big show there I did. as well right?
2: i did i was um i run i walk, walk in a runway show for uh Renchu, a japanese designer who shows in paris wow um, so that was my sixth time kind of walking in a show it was fun it was a catwalk it was uh,
1: it was fun i want your life when i grow up <laughs> <the best man. laughs> Seriously. if you could see this man's shoes you would understand why i'm saying that right now <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right now you grew up and 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 you went to school at babson college in massachusetts and you were a double major in management organizational behavior and communications yes at that time did you know that you were going to eventually get into advertising and kind of the entertainment <laughs> realm of things
2: you know it's funny i I always knew um, growing up that I was going to get into advertising. It was something that I always wanted. And, and the truth is that um, I used to watch a show called Bewitched. I don't know if you guys oh, remember Bewitched. Yeah. And I always thought, my God, that is the coolest business to be in, not the witchcraft business, but the, <laughs> the the stuff that Darren Steven used to do, which was kind of go in and create these really cool campaigns for, for a company. And he always ended up Um, saving the company from, well, actually, Samantha actually ended up saving the company, but Darren got the credit for saving the companies from some doom or something like that. (laughs) I thought, what is that business? What is it that that they really do? And so I knew that that was something that, uh, you know, going into Babson, when I I went there, I knew that I wanted to get into advertising. I didn't know that I was actually going to do it for myself. And um, I didn't know that that was going to be a business that I was going to start. But as I kind of, did more and more of it. I realized that it was something that clearly was was uh, in my destiny, and and I had a company, uh, my first company, which I sold to a big advertising holding company called Omnicom. Um, I did it, and it was great, and I stayed there for a number of years after what they called the earnout. So I yeah. stayed and, and uh, worked with another number of other agencies, and then I met one of my uh, current business one of my two current business partners there, a guy named Corey Isaacson. Yeah. and uh, Corey. Uh, had a very similar um, idea about what uh, we should be doing and what the industry should be doing and how we wanted to kind of change it. And so we sat down and, uh, and wrote a business plan called, and we titled the business plan um, Creating the Planet's Most Interesting Agency. Huh. <laughs> and uh, we were in Chicago, I'll never forget, and we were those people, we sat in a restaurant, we were there for like six hours, we were those people that never left, and you're kind of like, hey, can we use your table, can we use your table? And we're like, we're in the process of doing <laughs> something great. Right. And so we wrote this business plan, and uh, uh, we were really kind of focused not just on the advertising part, but really how we were going to change the paradigm of the communication business, and how we were going to change the paradigm of how people interacted with brands. And part of that is advertising. Part of it is experiential marketing. Some of it is PR, yeah. certainly digital and social. were just starting to kind of bubble up at the time. And um, it, it, was, it was great. And so from that point forward, we knew we had... Uh, something that we really loved. I happened to be on a, a flight with Magic Johnson. I had booked him for a um, presentation. He was actually speaking at a uh, convention in, in Dallas, and I was on his. I was on his plane, which is, by the way, a very nice way to fly. I, I fly, would imagine so. I would tell you it's very different <laughs> than the way I used to be flying, and and still do, by the way. But uh, and I was on this flight, and his COO, this woman, Kawana Brown who uh, is an amazing woman, a really, really uh, bright woman, and had been working with Magic for a number of years. And, and she wanted to talk about kind of the next thing we were going to do with Magic. And I said, well, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm going to start this new company with with Corey. And, and she said, oh, great. What, what's the company? What are you thinking about doing? And I happen to have my business plan with me. And I loved this woman. She was amazing. And I said, do me a favor. Take a look at this plan and just edit it. And yeah. tell me what you think and kind of pull it apart. Tell me what I'm missing. And... Uh, she looked at it and she was like, "No, this is great. This is really, really kind of pretty cool." And she gave it back to me, magic. And I was trying to be really respectful. I, mean, I mean, his plan—I didn't want to spill anything. I was just kind of being quiet in the back. Mm-hmm. And he turned around and he said, "What are you guys talking about?" And I told him what we were doing, and and he looked at the business plan and and gave it back to me. Said, "Oh, that's really great." And the next day he called and said, "Wow, you know, I've been thinking wow. about that business plan, and if you want another partner, I'd love for you to—I'd love for you to." Consider me as a partner, and I called Cora. I was like, "You're not going to believe what oh does gosh. happen. <laughs> and that's how the three of us uh, kind of started this agency, and and uh, it's been growing ever since. It's it's been really great. That's so. Cool. That's I a long answer to a very short. question. No, that's I'm a sorry. great answer.
1: No, that, and clearly, you know, the, foreseeing the future, anything that magic touches just yeah, turns to gold. Turns. So that was probably a start right there of knowing that you were going to be very successful in this realm well, with, with advertising. I got to well. tell you,
2: it's funny because I think of magic. Um, more of a legend off the court than necessarily on the court. I mean, we all know yeah. his prowess as a as a basketball player, but when you look at his accomplishments as a uh, you know entrepreneur and as a philanthropist, uh, to me that was a thing that yeah. really, really was intrigued. kind of yeah, it was it was amazing and and um, so it was it was pretty cool to to kind of connect with him on that level.
3: Well, going back to Babson for a second, while you were in college, you were only one of two black students in your graduating class, yes. which is crazy considering the size of college graduating yeah. classes. How did that statistic affect your career from the beginning?
2: It's interesting. So I, I laugh because my sister also graduated. I graduated from BAPS in 1983. My sister graduated. Well, I shouldn't say when you, she graduated, because she'll be upset. So <laughs> I'm figure out the age. But she graduated a few years after I did. And um, I used to tease people and say, you know, my family was 10% of the black population at, at the college at the time. It subsequently has changed quite a bit. I think what it taught me to do was to um, in a way kind of be comfortable being the kind of only guy in the room who may be different than everybody else Mm -hmm. and uh, to own that and to be proud of it and to basically say this is who I am, Uh, this is what I have to offer and you'd be lucky to kind of take some of that for, for your brand or whatever it is that you're doing uh, the experience of Babson was was tremendous for me I mean I was surrounded by really amazing bright people uh, who were you know type A yeah. you know really kind of uh, aggressive uh, in terms of kind of achieving and pushing with you know pushing their their goals forward and it was also interesting for me because a lot of the students who were there their families grew up, in, um, in the industry and kind of had that experience. My, my family, you know, my mom's a minister, my dad was a, um, a bus driver, and, and we were, you know, unbelievably rich and, and uh, happy with our lives as, yeah. as they were. And, and so it just kind of exposed me to a different way of thinking and a different way, kind of, of different experiences. And, and I kind of used that to, to my advantage, I think.
1: And then you spent many years at, at Pepsi and were, was quickly yep. promoted to brand management. Sure. How did your experiences at Pepsi kind of help you with where you're at today?
2: Well, Pepsi, it was interesting because um, I, I went to work at Pepsi. I was not one of those guys who took time off from school to go kind of travel Europe and all the things that are just, you know, now I wish i, I, I thought about it. but. Uh, you know, I had student loans to pay off, so I, I had to, get <laughs> well, to work. did, I understand. I was like, it's time to get to work. And so, and, and I was anxious. I wanted to get out there and work, you know. And so um, the first job I had uh, was uh, as a marketing analyst at Pepsi, which was which was an amazing job because um, it was uh, an experience to kind of uh, teach me how to look at an industry as opposed to just one particular brand. Yeah. So I was doing research and, and more of a planning sort of, a work, not the marketing, traditional marketing sort of stuff. So it was a good foot in the door, is a good way to kind of uh, understand how to work in a different culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're kind of protected in college and you're in a position where things are kind of developed for you and sure. you have a schedule and, and all that sort of and, and I think the most challenging thing that I learned kind of transitioning from college uh, to Pepsi was when to ask questions, when yeah. to kind of, you know, not be shy about saying, yeah, I don't understand this. Help me, you know, help me kind of you know, figure out the path a little bit. And so uh, it was great. And and uh, it was a amazing time at Pepsi. It was an amazing time in the, in the soft drink industry because uh, entertainment marketing was just starting to bubble up and people were starting to look at how to marry entertainers with brands in a way that kind of, help propel the brands forward and reach a consumer uh, segment that might not have considered it in the past. And it also was great for a lot of the artists Mm -hmm. who were looking for ways to extend their brand uh, to a wider audience. Uh, So in the case of a lot of record companies where they had limited dollars and, and limited exposure for their artists, it was mostly um, you know, radio, MTV really hadn't started at the time it was yeah. actually I was at the first MTV Awards. That's a I I little Wow. <laughs> and uh, and so it was really kind of a cool time in the business to kind of marry packaged goods and the entertainment side of the business and watch both of them kind of benefit from each other.
3: Well speaking of entertainment, while you were at Pepsi you mm. actually made that transition. Your yep. next role was entertainment marketing manager. How did you go about transitioning into that side of things?
2: Well, it was funny. So when I, my career at Pepsi, so I went right from uh, being in the research and the analyst, I went to work on a, a brand called Mountain Dew. Mountain mm-hmm. Dew. Um, and uh, what I did on the Mountain Dew brand was really kind of transform it. It started in North Carolina. Most people don't realize this. It started as a mixer. And so oh, the really? route salespeople, when the Pepsi route salespeople would go out into the into the business and to, to deliver their, their product, and then come back to the bottling plant and mix Mountain Dew with with vodka. Oh, and wow. and I did not that's, know that.
3: <laughs> that sounds about right. You that know, sounds like, about right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and so uh, they, you know, obviously when they uh, when Pepsi bought the brand, they obviously weren't mixing it with vodka anymore. <laughs> and uh, so it had a very kind of uh, actually a hillbilly, and and they say that because that's what the brand was yeah. initially. And so when we were kind of working on it, uh, we were trying to figure out ways to kind of transform it to connect with young urban consumers. Mm -hmm. And that was my first assignment. So I got to work with Busta Rhymes. And so I did a lot of kind of cool hip-hop urban sort of uh, initiatives with with, uh, Mountain Dew. And then on the other side, I got them involved in extreme sports. So there was kind of this balance between the traditional urban side and then uh, extreme sports. Mm -hmm. And then they moved me into a field position So rather than look at one brand nationally, I looked at all the brands regionally, and and they moved me to, I didn't physically move, but my territory was a Western area. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at all of the uh, brands on the Western area, and it was much more operations driven. Hmm. So it was much more about packaging and pricing and retail, uh, which was a great thing to learn if you're in that packaged goods goods business. And then they moved me on to Pepsi, which is where I um, ultimately became the entertainment marketing manager and I got to work on all the big music tours, and Michael yeah. Jackson, Tina Turner. At one point, I think I was on three different tours at the same time, and, and it was it was great. And then um, they kind of the end of the back Michael Jackson tour, uh, they asked me, you know, what do you want to do next? And, you know, I'd been traveling around the world with yeah. Michael and and kind of connecting Michael with the local regional uh, offices, and I wasn't quite sure that I wanted to go back and do the traditional um you know, marketing assignment, office kind of thing. I, you know, I got a taste of the outside world and what it was like. And so I created, um, you know, with Pepsi, obviously, a kind of position where I was like an A&R person. And for, you know, those of you who don't know, an A&R person in a record company kind of goes out and looks for talent talent, and brings them into the record company and develops that talent. And and so my job was to go out and look for talent that we could assign to the different brands, whether it's Pepsi or Mountain Dew or Diet Pepsi. And um, I did that for a number of years and then got a little taste and said, you know what? I really don't mind doing this, but I don't just want to be known in the entertainment business as just a soft drink guy. Right. Mm-hmm. I really want to be able to do other things beyond just um, working on soft drinks. And so I talked to Pepsi and I said, hey, look, would you mind um, me kind of transfer, tra- you know, transitioning off of uh, being an employee? I'll be a consultant for you. I'm happy to do that. Um, and you, I want you to be my first client, so it was oh, wow. a great way to, for me to start my, my company. And uh, uh, I did that and you know, went out to look for other clients. Other my clients. first client was AT&T. And, and that's I a worked. huge one to have. That for was a great. It was, uh, outside of Pepsi, it was great. And so, um, and I remember going to the Grammy Awards. You never know when an idea is going to hit you, right? That's true. Yeah. And I remember going to the Grammy Awards and watching Whitney Houston sing. She was in this beautiful white fair Wang dress. She looked like an Urte statue. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, why, why isn't anyone doing anything with her? She's got this amazing voice. And, and uh, it was just, you know, she was at the prime of her, of her career. And I called my friend a guy named Dan Clark, who was, who was at Pepsi and went over to work at at and said, I've got an idea for you. I have no idea. And this is, I left a voicemail. This is pre-texting and pre-emails right. <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. And there I, was a world before right, right, I, I Can you that believe existed? that? Um, and I, I, uh, I left a, a uh, message for, for him that night and said, I don't know if Whitney would do this. This is just an idea. You know, and I pitched him this idea. They had this, um, this campaign called True Voice But it was really a very technical um, initiative where they put more bass in the phone line, basically. So it sounded like you know when you're calling someone in in your office and there's a much clearer line than when you're calling someone long distance. So they had this technology that they were putting into the phone. I was like, why don't you show an on-air demonstration of what this technology really is? Let's go out and get the best voice in the business to show and demonstrate what happens when you are with True Voice and when you're not with True. It was a really simple concept. And they were like okay let's do it go do it and <laughs> then i had to figure out how to. how and then it just kind of started to spiral from there and uh, more and more artists started to see what i was doing and uh, more and more brands started to see and started to ask questions yeah. well who did that deal and how did they do it and and um, that's kind of how i got my first company started and sold it and then started this new one so, and, so and cool. you were able to
1: merge so many things uh, entertainment with corporate corporate yeah. which is you know, they've been trying to do that for years. And we finally are at a place where you see that most people have kind of gotten it. But you were like the pre-person before that. Well,
2: it. yeah, it's funny because when I started, you know, a lot of artists didn't want to do it. Yeah. A lot of artists thought it was selling out and, and you know, I'm not sure this is the right thing for me. And even record companies were kind of nervous about it. Um, but as the business started to change and as the economics of the business started to change and people started to realize, well, wait a minute. Um, maybe there's a way for us to kind of use someone else's resources to help build our own brand. Yeah. Uh, people start to get more more open to it. And I'd always said to artists, you know, you should never do anything that is not consistent with what you would do if the cameras weren't rolling, mm-hmm. yeah. because the the truth is your credibility is is critical to the success of the campaign and to the to the client. And so we would never go to. I would never just. You know, I never just wanted to sign someone just for the sake of them wanting to get a check. It was really about them understanding uh, what it was that the brand was all about and what they had to do, what their obligation to the brand was and what the brand obligation to to the artist was.
3: And it kind of goes to show like, just don't ever be afraid to ask. You kind of just were like throwing out ideas. Like, I don't know if this is gonna work. I don't know what you're gonna think about it, but why not, you know? Yeah,
2: I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, people find inspiration in different things. I've always been passionate about the entertainment business. I've always really enjoyed music. I've always loved being kind of in that space. Um, I just figured out a cool way for me to make money yeah. at it. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's what most entrepreneurs do. They find something that they're really passionate about. Yeah. Um, and they're just like a laser trying to figure out how to... How keep to focus. Keep your focus yeah. and stay on track to, to get that. Um, this time I'm... I'm lucky because I have, you know, Corey Isaacson, who's you know a laser beam himself. Yeah. Uh, this time I get to bounce ideas off of him and uh, and he with me. So it's it's kind of fun to to have a partner in that in that sense to, to, to play off of.
1: And then since you've been able to merge and have such a huge success with with starting your company, Walton Isaacson. Mm-hmm what is it what are some of the benefits of starting your agency and and can you kind of walk through for someone who may be interested in starting their own agency like what are the benefits and what are some of your biggest challenges as well
2: well i think the biggest benefit obviously is that you can kind of i want to say you can control your own destiny and to some degree you can um but ultimately the client kind of has a huge impact on what you can and can't do but Um, you can kind of plot your own course. And you can decide whether or not you want to work with a client so that, that, you know, to some degree, you do have control over that. Uh, But I think the biggest benefit for me is the sense of independence, uh, the sense of um, the success of the agency is within the agency and not dependent on someone else, right? So it's Corey, myself, and by the way, there's a, you know, we have about 170 team members who are equally kind of, passionate about what they do and so I I don't want to make it sound like it's just Corey and I. The fact of the matter is it's much larger than that but um, I think that idea, the fact that uh, you can kind of control your own destiny is really what is exciting for me and there are no limits, right? Mm -hmm. So we can decide you know today I want to shoot and create a television show and tomorrow I might want to write a book or the next. So if that's different in kind of the entrepreneurial world versus me working at a Pepsi, where it's very specific. You know, I'm managing yeah. Mountain Dew; that's what your job is, and that's kind of you know how you kind of get a, get along. Get along and, with them. And, yeah, uh, so that's probably the the benefit. I think the downside is uh, you realize the weight of responsibility for you know 170 people, people yeah. Yeah. and you take that very personally and very um, you know it's um, there people there that have got families and you want to make sure that they're growing yeah. and they're, they're developing and and that they're feeling that uh, they're respected and they're having the opportunities that you want as any kind of, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, when, uh you're just a manager, you want your team members to feel to succeed, to succeed because when they succeed, you, su- you succeed, true. you know?
3: What's the number one mistake that you see young entrepreneurs make?
2: Um, you know, it's it's interesting. It's also the biggest strength and the sometimes the biggest weakness. I think the biggest mistake is uh, ideas can always evolve and change. Mm-hmm. And you know, I said earlier, you know, you had an idea, you're like a laser, but sometimes you need to stop and listen and kind of take in uh, other people's advice and yeah. and really um, think that you know this is where I thought I wanted to go, but maybe you know, listening to you guys, maybe there's something else that I didn't consider, Mm -hmm. that I should consider. And so you've got to be open to, you know, these other options that are around um, that can, quite frankly, make the ideas bigger often and kind of help you achieve a goal that you might not have even realized, oh my God, I I didn't believe that that was actually going to be something that I could could achieve. I was just at um, the uh, Southern California Minority um, uh, Business Association and uh, I was with, you know, a number of minority-owned um, uh, entrepreneurs. And and there's some things that they. I was listening to, you know, one of the entrepreneurs, and they're just not small, they're billion-dollar businesses. And I never even thought about a billion dollars for my business. <laughs> I like, oh, well, why didn't I think about that? Why? Of course I could do that. And so, you know, sometimes being around other people and, and kind of being inspired by them. Uh, you makes get your it, juices you going. You get your juices going, yeah.
1: And then uh, you, one of your taglines for the agency is the planet's most interesting agency Ooh. in the world. How do you go about fulfilling that and keeping that fresh? I, mean, I know you deal with, you, you, your agency has been so key with like the verses and flow for yep. Lexus and just a variety of different brands, but how do you continue to keep it fresh and interesting?
2: Well, I always tell people, I want to be the dumbest guy in the room in my <laughs> team. And, and so the biggest uh, thing to do is to surround yourself with really amazing people who are passionate and who have different ideas. And so uh, I really believe the secret to, you know, our secret sauce is really about having a very diverse group of people Um, culturally. um, You know, we've got, you know, a myriad of, you know, a rainbow of colors in our our office. (laughs) And I always tell people we're kind of like the Benetton ad of of advertising. advertising. (laughs) There's gay, straight, black, white, you know, Hispanic, Asian. It's great because everyone brings a different nuance, a different cultural kind of understanding of uh, what motivates them, what has got them excited about something. And uh, I think that is kind of what ultimately keeps us interesting. Um, We've always said, you know, when we go into a new business pitch and when we're meeting with clients, we tell them, all right, tell us what the one thing is that's keeping you up at night. And what's the thing that you can't figure out? I don't care if it's, you know, I can't reach women. I can't uh, figure out how to, you know, get the social media campaign started, it, whatever it is, just tell us. And I think we have an advantage because we have sitting at our table uh, experts in different areas. We're not siloed. Um, so the idea is not that you're just in charge of social media and you're just in charge of you know, traditional media. It's like we've got a challenge to figure out. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. channel agnostic. We're culturally uh, attuned to the... Um, different nuances that each culture brings, and let's just figure out the best of each, and kind of build the ideas around that. It's not a. It's not. I'm sorry. Oh no. It's not. It's not a revolutionary thing. It's just you know common sense. It's sort common of thing. sense. Yeah.
3: Well, you talk about surrounding yourself with great people and all different sorts of people, and you also talked a little bit about being open to ideas that you never thought of. So that kind of factors into networking and constantly making yourself present. What are some of your tips for efficient networking?
2: Um, You know, it's funny. Most people, when they're networking, they're trying to sell. They're trying to sell themselves. You know, I've been in a lot of those conferences where you get you know a million people giving their their business cards. Um, I think good networking is not just about selling yourself, but it's about listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, the things that I've learned at some of those conferences and the things that kind of helped me the most is when I'm more silent than anything else. <laughs> I do think networking is critical because uh, you never know. If I can't help you, I might know someone else who can. That's true. Right. And so um, it's, it's equally important to kind of help other people, like beyond the fact that it's just morally, it feels great. it 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 does kind of come back to you in some some interesting ways. You know, versus in the flow you mentioned, that really started from us kind of thinking through and networking and thinking like, how do we you know take this idea that started as a really cool uh, local event that we were doing and expanded to yeah. something much larger? Um, and so we just kind of worked in our kind of internal network, and mm-hmm. that's how it it really kind of started to develop. and became a cool now television Now it's this show. huge phenomenon. Yeah, it's you know, great. I've
1: been to several of them, and I mean, they are the talk of many different markets, from mm-hmm. Chicago all yeah. the way to L.A. People love it and look forward to it every year. We're
2: excited. This year, it's going to uh, debut on August 10th, a Saturday. I think that's the right date. I should know that. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, we, we opened with um, Maxwell, who's going to be our first guest. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And we did a tribute to the Icon Man. I don't know if you're familiar with the Icon yeah. Man, but Yeah. So we're really excited about it this year.
1: What's the best single piece of advice you've ever received that's helped you in your career to date?
2: Um, don't be afraid to ask questions. Hmm. Um, because if you assume certain things, you may spend a lot of time going down the wrong path. Uh, it becomes really inefficient. Um, and it can waste a lot of people's time and frustrate people. So uh, I, I'm a big person of you know asking, you know, you don't want to waste people's time, but yeah. really, Uh, really ask a lot of questions and do your homework. There's nothing worse than someone coming in and presenting or you kind of sitting back and And not not knowing what's going on. And so, you know, making sure you're doing your homework and and, uh, knowing that it's not going to be easy. You know, you've got to put the time in to to really get there.
3: Along those same lines, what has been the hardest lesson that you've had to learn the hard way?
2: Wow. Uh, The hardest lesson that I've learned. Um, Gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I think that as I kind of look back, you know, personally, I think um, I'm pretty direct, <laughs> and as you have to be you in have, this industry. Well, you you do, but you know, type A personality. You are just kind of, you know, particularly entrepreneurs, you're like, boom, you got to go. You're heading, you're hitting it, and sometimes uh, you've got to be a little bit more sensitive to at least me. I can can't speak for everyone, but uh, a little bit more, particularly on the creative side, um, you know. People are birthing their babies when they're doing this kind of creative work. And I have a tendency to be like, "Nope, nope," no. And I always think that's how I want feedback. But that's yeah. not necessarily how everyone else wants feedback. Right. So I'm learning. I'm a work in progress. I'm trying to figure it out, too. But um, I, I think that's probably one of the lessons that I'm trying to teach myself in terms of giving more constructive feedback, giving people... Because people want to please you. People yeah. want to do good work. Yeah. It's not like they don't want to do they good do. work. You just, you know, you have to take the time to, to you know, help them out with that.
1: And you've been a an executive, a trendsetter, a a, a model, an influencer. Yeah. What would you like to conquer next in your career?
2: I, I'm really passionate about Broadway and about live theater and live events. And so um, we're working with Stephen Bird now. Um, Stephen Bird, for those of you who don't know, is um, an amazing Broadway producer. He's taken a lot of traditional, um, Shows and then recast them with black cast So, *Streetcar Named Desire*, he kind of redid, and and uh, *Tripped to Bountiful*. And so, we're working on a couple of projects with him. There's a gentleman by the name of Charles Randolph Wright, uh, director for *Motown the Musical*. Mm, yeah. uh, so, we're working on some projects. Then we have a development team at the agency that are just developing really kind of cool content. Uh, and so, we're we're excited about that's you know the next thing that I really want to work on.
3: It's awesome.
1: And then I have one quick question we're going to wrap up soon um, before we we go. I want to, could you explain to people how you go about finding your advertisers? Like someone starting off, if I'm starting a new agency, where do I start? What do do I need to do as my first step?
2: Sure, so there are a lot of different ways to find um, advertising clients. One is there's what's called an RFP or request for proposal. Um, and so you can go online, and you can look for different RFPs, and and it's not just for advertising, but they obviously a lot uh, a lot of advertising agencies. I mean, a lot of clients uh, will list out uh, when they're doing when they're doing uh, searches. Um, that's primarily how most um, uh, folks uh, find new new opportunities. I, I would look at the trades. So advertising age is one of the kind of leading uh trade publications in the advertising side of the business much like billboard magazine is for for music advertising age is is for um, for advertisers and so they'll often list who what accounts are coming up for review and and which brands are thinking of switching um, quite frankly we've been lucky because most of our um, clients have come from referrals mm. and so That's nice. And that's a nice that's a nice way to to kind of get the business but you still have to go out and earn it but uh <laughs> It's, it's, uh, the cost of entry is much, uh, much, uh, cheaper than, than kind of going <laughs> out and having to do these big pitches, but, uh, and we've done those big pitches as well. I mean, most of the bigger agencies have that, have that process where you have to go out. But those would be the, the biggest, uh, kind of ways to, to find out who's looking for, uh, for spots. And it's also a great way to kind of get your foot in the door for advertising agencies and they're listing out, uh, different positions that, uh, are available and get your foot into a small or big big agency and, and learn from the ground up. Yeah.
3: Well, tell us and all your fans where we can find you on social media so we can stalk you a little bit., Oh, stalk us. <laughs> so
2: you can certainly go to our website com, and that's usually the best place to... Uh, to find uh, all the kind of cool things our agency is doing. And we, by the way, also post different positions that we're looking for. So join us there and, and, and look for jobs. At
1: we like that, a, yeah. a place that's hiring right now. Exactly, that's Absolutely. A good place. Absolutely. <laughs> Jessica, working fans find you?
3: Find me online on Twitter at I am Jessica King.
1: You can find me online at, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at DarylKristen. Aaron, thank you for joining us today. Thank I, you I think me. you gave us a piece of the bigger picture of what it's like to be in your world, right. because I know you have so many responsibilities and you've just done some great things just in the community overall and i can't wait to versus and flow to see well, the show so
2: thank you and thank you congratulations on this show too this is amazing i always kind of pay attention to you guys and this is fun to kind of be here and, and enjoy it with you well thank you
1: we'll have to have thank you back you
2: for having, oh, for, oh, for stopping by. thank you